Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us today for our Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by Cordy. We're going to give everyone just a few minutes to settle in and we'll start the program shortly. Thank you. Again, we thank you all for being with us today. We're going to let folks settle in a little bit here, and we'll start the presentation shortly. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Hybrid work is here to stay. How to adapt your office ergonomics program to support flexible workers in 2022 and beyond. Sponsored by Cority. My name is Barry Botino, and I'm an associate editor at Safety and Health. I'll be moderating today's event. Before we get started, I have a few housekeeping items to share with you. The views of today's speaker and organization are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or the magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, we'll conduct a Q&A with our speaker. If you have a question, you can send it to us at any time at all during today's presentation by clicking on the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, typing in your question, and pressing the send button. After this presentation, you'll also be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, but I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. This webcast will be archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com events, or you'll also receive a link in your post-event email. With that, let's introduce our presenter. With us today is Kim Mole the Product Marketing Manager at Cordy. In her role with the organization, Kim supports Cordy's ergonomics solutions. Her experience includes consulting, research, and optimizing and managing ergonomics programs in the automotive, manufacturing, healthcare, and public services sectors. Again, we thank you all for tuning into this presentation today. And Kim, whenever you're ready, take it away. Thanks, Barry. Hi everyone, and thanks for joining me today. I'm gonna to jump right into it. So I'm really excited to be, topic, to be talking about a few different topics today. To start, uh, we'll review what the current landscape of work is looking like and how flexible work models like hybrid and remote work are impacting discomfort and other ergo-related outcomes. 
And then we'll dive into how changes to work post-pandemic are affecting ergonomics programs and some of the challenges that are being faced by ergo program managers. And then finally, we'll explore how technology can be leveraged to effectively adapt your office ergonomics program to accommodate a hybrid workforce or even a remote workforce. So where are things at with work now in 2022? So it's pretty well known that the pandemic has drastically changed the way that many of us work. And the different work concepts and models that you see here up on the screen, of course, you know, they existed prior to the pandemic, but we know that their prevalence has definitely been accelerated because of the work from home mandates that, that happened in 2020. And as the world continues to open back up, Many employers are choosing to reevaluate their workplace strategies and develop new policies on where their employees are working. And these strategies can be influenced by factors including, you know, company culture and operational requirements, which is why we're seeing such variability right now from one company to the next in terms of what what strategy they're adopting. And since these policies are pretty new for many companies, business leaders and workers are both um, still trying to figure out what works best for them. So leaders are wondering what strategies are going to have the most impact on factors that might include employee productivity, morale, satisfaction, retention, things like that. And then workers, they're still trying to figure out what type of work will best meet the needs of their lifestyle and career goals. And there's a continuous flow of research that's being released on these topics. So flexibility will be important for companies who are looking to successfully adapt to new best practices as they come to light. So before going on, I'd like to just define some of the most common workplace models that I already mentioned, you know, they've existed well before the onset of the pandemic, but they've lately become front of mind for many leaders when they're thinking about their strategies going forward. And it's also become more of a consideration for workers when deciding where they want to work. So first, starting with the fully on-site model, this is what we would consider to be the most traditional work model, where employees are working just on-site at their company's facility full-time. And companies using this model before the pandemic, obviously, they had to pivot quickly to accommodate work-from-home orders. And now many organizations are choosing to return workers to the office full-time. Um, and some of the reasons for that could include the belief that it makes for easier communication, or that workers will have um, you know, less distractions from home life if, if they're working in the office. On the, other, on the other end of the spectrum, we have our fully remote work. So this one, again, is very straightforward. It's basically where employees just have the ability to work away from the office full time. And some employees may favor this model because um, they don't have to commute. There may be less distractions from coworkers if they're working at home, or they might like that they have the freedom to work anywhere. And then in the space between fully remote and fully on-site work, we have hybrid work. And for the purposes of this talk today, we'll define hybrid work as having the ability to work remotely at least one day of the week. In this model, it's thought um, by some to offer some of the benefits that we see with both fully remote and fully on-site work. So it could be considered more of a, a meet in the middle type of strategy for both businesses and employees. And some companies may also be adopting hybrid work as a result of policies to maintain social distancing and prevent disease transmission, 
or also to reduce their office uh, footprint and, and take advantage of some savings on, on lease costs. And both of these factors could also mean that there's less space than before for workers in the office, which in turn could mean that workers coming in, they might be sharing their workstations now. And the reason that we're giving hybrid work so much space on this spectrum is that there are so many variations that companies are adopting. So some might require employees to go in one day per week, others might require four days per week. Some companies, they're also choosing um, more of a balanced approach. So for example, like two days in, in the office and three days remote or something to that effect. So we're gonna jump into our first poll here. So I'm interested to know, we just talked about some of the common workplace models, which of the ones that we discussed are, um, are closest to what your organization are currently adopting for office workers. Okay, so it looks like um, we have the majority on the call are adopting a hybrid work model. So I think this kind of just underscores um, that hybrid work, it, it's definitely becoming more popular. And I think um, we'll, we'll have some, some good discussion today on how we can uh, um, improve our, our ergo programs to support that hybrid work. So at the beginning of this year, a large global work trend survey was administered to 31,000 full-time workers, and it revealed what some of the current attitudes are on flexible work from both employees and leaders. And the report from this, it's really interesting, and there's a few um, kind of key points that I wanted to pull out from it to, to chat about today. So first, it found that 57% of employees who work fully remotely are considering a shift to hybrid work in the year ahead, whereas 51% of hybrid workers are considering a shift to fully remote work. Okay, and 43% are also somewhat or extremely likely to consider changing jobs over the next year. And I think that all of these points help to reinforce the idea that the workforce will probably continue to be in transition for months to come. Also, the survey, it found that over half of employees are more likely to prioritize health and well-being over work compared to before the pandemic. And personal well-being and mental health was cited as a top reason that workers quit their jobs over the pandemic. And interestingly, lack of flexible work hours or location was also cited as a top five common reason. And so the other uh, three reasons you can see there are work-life balance, risk of getting COVID-19, and lack of confidence in senior management or leadership. So the reality of the landscape right now is that there are a high number of job moves, and it appears that this is going to continue. The workforce has more leverage and more options, and they're looking for organizations that are going to take care of them. So it's becoming increasingly important for employers to be able to show tangible examples of how they're taking care of their employees when they're looking to attract the best talent. 
There are a lot more interesting insights coming out of this report, and it was actually um, commissioned by Microsoft. So if you're interested, um, I can I can send you a link afterwards. Just shoot me an email. Um, but a, a key takeaway from this is that organizations need to consider how workers' priorities have changed and could continue to change in order to support a sustainable business strategy going forward. So now let's look at how many people are actually working remotely in 2022. So this, these, um, these stats are from another survey that were conducted on behalf of McKinsey on over 25,000 Americans across all industries. Okay, so 35% reported having the option to work remotely on a full-time basis and 23% uh, tw sorry, had the opportunity to work remotely on a part-time basis. So over half of Americans have the ability to work remotely at least one day out of the week. And over the course of the pandemic, a number of researchers were investigating how the sudden shift to remote work impacted ergonomic injuries and discomfort for office workers. So one study on university staff found that the transition to remote resulted in an increased discomfort for 51% of participants and new discomfort for 24% of participants. And this is compared to just 7% of staff who reported a decreased discomfort as a result of this shift. And ergonomists might understand why this was a reality. So with many forced to work from home essentially overnight at the start of the pandemic, workers had to make do with whatever equipment they had available at the time. And often this equipment um, didn't necessarily support neutral postures or what we would consider to be an ideal office workstation setup. Another survey that I found, it was administered to a cohort of university staff and it found that 27% were working while seated on dining chairs and 15% were working on non-chairs. And when, I'm, when I say non-chairs, I'm talking about things like beds and couches. And the same study found that over half of home workers weren't using their backrest for support while working. So it's clear that with that quick shift to a home office, many workers were dealing with a general lack of adjustability and also a lack of knowledge that led to poor static postures and just less than ideal work practices from an ergo standpoint. And then in addition to the introduction of new physical risk factors, we also have to consider the environmental and psychosocial factors that can impact well-being when working at home. And some of these include, you know, dealing with interruptions when you're working at home, um, possibly feelings of loneliness uh, if you're working remotely alone. Also, having, the, having difficulty unplugging from work at the end of the day is another factor to consider. Um, and I'm not gonna get too much into those types of factors today, but I wanted to highlight that the quick shift to remote and flexible work introduced a variety of new types of ergonomic issues. And today I wanna focus on some of the key challenges that are facing ergonomics teams who are trying to really proactively tackle these concerns. So employees operating under a hybrid work model usually have more than one workstation. So then it's possible for them to be exposed to multiple sets of ergonomic risks. And what I'm seeing is this is resulting in gaps in ergonomic systems and policies that were originally developed to support mainly on-site office workers with designated workstations. So let's get into what some of those challenges are. 
The first is managing increased sources of risk data, which is always going to be critical for guiding intelligent decision making and also for helping program managers prioritize their resources. So when it comes to managing ergonomics data for a hybrid workforce, we're now having to deal with increased sources of information that come with the increased number of workstations. Um, so just some, a little bit of background on me. I'm an ergonomist by trade. And before joining on with Cordy, I worked as an ergonomic consultant for a number of years. And before the pandemic, when more organizations had uh, employees working fully on site, I found that programs more easily got away with using more manual methods, um, such as spreadsheets to, to manage the ergo program insights. And now what I'm seeing is with many more workstations being thrown into the mix, there's that new layer of complexity added. And for anyone who doesn't have um, some sort of automated system in place to help manage that data, being able to really uh, consolidate those metrics um, and, and get a holistic view of, of risk across the organization, it's going to be a bit more challenging. And the next challenge is with optimizing workstation design. So when employees are working remotely, organizations are going to have less control over the design of those workstations, especially if staff are, are using their own equipment. So in general, evaluators and experts are going to have limited access to the workplace when we're talking about remote, remote workstations. And as I mentioned before, workers might not have the equipment needed to support ideal working postures at their home office. And they also might not, might not prioritize um, the purchase of that equipment if it's coming out of their own pocket. So some organizations we're seeing are trying to mitigate these risks by providing a stipend for employees to buy furniture. Um, but you know, knowing that office furniture and equipment can be rather expensive, being able to assist employees with buying it for their home workstation isn't always going to be feasible, especially if this is something that wasn't worked into the budget pre-pandemic. So this can be a huge challenge to navigate because we know that having furniture and equipment that supports ideal postures is kind of a critical component to preventing injuries and discomfort. And then the next challenge that we have is with prioritizing expert resources. So a large hurdle that's been brought about by hybrid work is the extra time and energy that goes into managing multiple workstations for each employee. An important characteristic of a proactive ergonomics program is the, ability, is the ability to be able to identify and manage risk before the onset of discomfort or injury. And with a traditional fully on-site workplace model, this could mean providing employees with some sort of general ergonomics training, and then also having an ergo expert come to evaluate each employee's workstation. So if suddenly employees start working out of two or more workstations, then what happens? So for organizations looking to proactively assess office workstations for all their staff, the addition of more workstations could really add to the ergo team's workload. And when the team isn't used to this level of demand, it could become more of a struggle to find the time to provide that effective individualized training and assessments in order to support all employees at every location that they're working out of. So we've gone over a few ch challenges. We're gonna jump into our next poll here. So I'm interested to know, what are the biggest challenges currently facing your organization's office ergonomics program? 
give everyone a few seconds here to answer. Okay, just a couple more seconds. Hmm, looks like it is quite mixed here. Um, coming out on top, we have equipment limitations for hybrid and remote employees. Yeah, so certainly that can be a huge expense for organizations and, and it is something that um, at Cordy we're finding it, it, it's a challenge to navigate for sure. So that, that's not surprising to me. So as many organizations have seen, the switch to hybrid or remote work will impact multiple facets of a business. And many of them are turning to digital solutions to help them adapt in, in all areas. And the same approach should really be considered when you're looking at your ergo program. So now I'm gonna talk about how you can leverage technology to help address some of these new challenges that hybrid work has introduced. So the first key to success to adapting your program is by engaging your workforce more and technology can help with that um, through delivering virtual training and self-assessments. So hybrid work aside, a well-rounded proactive ergonomics program is going to involve individuals at all levels of the organization, you know, from upper management all the way to the front line. And one way that we can get the, the frontline workforce more engaged is by allowing employees to have more of an active role in reducing their own personal risk. And this can be achieved by empowering employees with the knowledge that's required to really identify and resolve ergonomic issues at their own workstations. So technology now allows us to deliver ergonomics training using methods that are going to be particularly helpful if you have a distributed or a hybrid workforce. And some examples of that include using some sort of an on-demand LMS platform or even delivering training through um, live, uh, live web conferencing, sorry. And then to take things a step further, training with a practical component that prompts workers to identify and resolve issues on their workstation in real time, it's not only going to actively engage them by encouraging participation, but it's also going to save your expert evaluators time. And I'm going to use an example to illustrate this. So let's say we have an employee that uses workstations both in the office and at home. So they use a self-guided training, um, ergonomics training and assessment software to help them identify and address issues at each of their unique workstations. If they go through the training and say they realize that their chair at home is too low, then the software will automatically feed them information on what they need to do to fix that. If the employee is able to go through this process and resolve all existing concerns on their own, then a follow-up assessment might be less of a priority for that employee. If they identify concerns at one or both of their workstations that they can't resolve, then the evaluator can prioritize that employee for a follow-up. And then if this follow-up was for an employee's remote workstation and a remote assessment is required, some of the challenges with not being able to physically observe the workstation will be reduced 
because the evaluator is able to pull up some of those issues that the employee originally identified during their self-assessment. So this strategy, it not only reduces the number of full-time assessment, assessments required, but it could also help to streamline the process of completing an assessment by helping your ergonomists focus in on the employee's primary concerns because they're always going to, they're, they're already going to have the context of um, what some of their, their primary issues are. The next key to success for adapting to hybrid work is implementing a risk-based approach. And technology can help you do that through quantifying office ergonomic risk. Because you know, having a high-level understanding of the ergonomic concerns across an organization is really critical to prioritizing where to focus your risk reduction efforts. And to adapt your ergo program to support a hybrid workforce, this understanding of risk is going to need to extend to your remote workstations as well. So how can you easily compare and contrast risk factor data across unique workstations and unique workers? If you're using more uh, manual methods to document the results of office assessments, so say you're, you're just doing like a written report, you're likely dealing with a lot of qualitative information. And by digitally transforming the way that you document assessments and the associated interventions, you can use the power of algorithms to translate that qualitative info um, that you're used to collecting into quantifiable risk scores. And then from there, you can take those scores and start to identify which individuals are in most need of additional support. This information can also be highly valuable for identifying trends and driving more just robust and impactful risk reduction strategies. And the way that software can help you to do this, it ties into the self-guided training and assessments that I just uh, discussed on the previous slide. So an important characteristic of effective training and assessment software is that it will digitize the results of these assessments for you. And the way that this works is that every response from the self-assessment, it gets associated with a risk value that's then used to calculate a risk score for one workstation. So for hybrid employees, they might have multiple workstation risk scores. And what these programs will do is it will take the scores plus discomfort information um, that's collected during, during the self-assessment, and it will calculate an overall personal risk score for each employee. And the nice thing about this is that it's all done automatically as a worker fills out their self-assessment. And it's also going to allow employees themselves to see kind of in real time what risk factors are contributing the most to their overall risk. And um, the hope would be is that it would encourage behavioral changes as well um, that are under the employee's control. And so this information, it can be applied at a high level when trying to prioritize where to allocate efforts and also at a more granular level. So you have the power to gain a deeper understanding of the root causes of risk across your organization. Um, and a, a simple example of this would be, if you have a high percentage of employees experiencing neck discomfort, you can quickly refer to the information from the training and assessments to tease out if there are any trending workstation design concerns that could be related. The overall goal of a software solution like this is to allow a small staff to monitor risk of a large employee population 
and to enable that population to reduce the risk independently. And then also to identify exceptional situations where professional assist assistance, say from an ergonomist or an evaluator is required to help reduce that risk. So the next key to success that we have here is streamlining your administrative processes. And technology can help you with that by helping to automate the ergo evaluation workflow. So I've already highlighted the impact that hybrid work can have to one of the most valuable resources for your ergonomics program, which is time. The admin work that comes along with managing a proactive ergonomics program can certainly be time consuming, depending on the systems that you have in place. And it can be especially challenging if everyone in your workforce who used to have one primary workstation now has multiple. But these processes, they can be streamlined using software that helps administrators or ergonomists manage the ergo assessment workflow more efficiently and more consistently. And this starts with identifying that an assessment is required for an employee. So rather than waiting on employees to request an assessment, or um, working from a spreadsheet-based to-do list to schedule your assessments. Software can help you to proactively identify employees that are in the most need of, of receiving an assessment um, based on, on pre-established risk scores from, from their self-assessment. And then these systems can interface with email systems. So an evaluator can view a prioritized to-do list and schedule assist, um, sorry, assessments all from one place. When it comes to actually completing the assessment, findings and recommendations can be updated through built-in forms in the same system, which evaluators can use to add assessment information and just paint a more complete picture of an employee's situation. And you can also track the status of corrective actions, so there's never going to be a question as to whether countermeasures are being closed out. With a more manual system, tracking the status of where an employee is at in the evaluation workflow, um, you know, if they need an assessment or if they've had one and they require follow-up, it can be a bit of a challenge. Um, but with dedicated case management software, where the evaluator left off with an employee is always going to be visible. So they'll always know when they need to follow up with somebody. And then another nice part about this approach is that it provides a really consistent method for completing evaluations when you have multiple ergonomists or evaluators who are working on that. Um, and I think any semblance of consistency is going to be really helpful when you're dealing with workstation scenarios that are as inherently inconsistent in their design as our remote workstations. The fourth key to success to adapting your program to hybrid work is optimizing your equipment strategy. And technology can help with that by helping you to leverage data to inform smart purchasing decisions. So similarly to how we can use dedicated ergonomic software to prioritize expert resources, we can also use it to start to tackle the issue of just making sure that shared and hybrid workstations are being outfitted with equipment that's going to mitigate risk and just support the best outcomes from an injury discomfort perspective. I know that organizations, I know that everyone, they would love to be able to send all of their employees a sit-stand desk and a $2,000 chair and totally outfit every employee's remote workstation. 
Um, but if you can't afford to do that, you want to make sure that what you are spending is being directed to where it need, it's needed most. So software can help organizations make more informed decisions about where to use their limited budget. Um, and it will really help to make sure that all other possible options have been exhausted before the need for new equipment is even reviewed. And this ensures that justifying new equipment is always done in a systematic and defendable way when it is required. And our next key to success here is uh, reinforcing best practice, best practice behaviors and habits for our hybrid workers. And technology can help with that through pushing out intelligent break and behavioral reminders. So, we know that optimizing workstation design is always going to be a priority and kind of the foundation of a solid um, ergonomic strategy. So we always want to be fitting the task to the person. That being said, we also know that certain administrative controls are important to have in place for really maximizing the effectiveness of an ergonomics design intervention. So for example, you can provide an employee with a chair that has the capability of adjusting to support their stature, but if the employee doesn't know how to properly adjust it, it's, it's not really going to provide optimal support. And then to the same tune, um, standing up and, and stretching throughout the day can help to mitigate the impact of prolonged seated work on injury outcomes. But at the end of the day, the accountability is on the worker to choose to carry out those behaviors. And when I was in consulting, um, completing ergo assessments for office workers, I would always bring up this conversation uh, about making sure that you're, you know, taking frequent breaks from sitting. Um, and a response that I would get, it's often not that individuals didn't want to take breaks, but they would feel that they either didn't have the time or they would be so focused on what they were working on that they would forget. And one way that technology can help leaders to reinforce and encourage these good habits is by reminding employees when they should take a short break or even maybe do a quick stretch. And this type of software is especially helpful for hybrid and remote workers where supervisors and experts just generally have less visibility into how people are working when they're offsite. Um, and, and currently on the market, there is software available that can be installed right onto an employee's desktop and remind them to take breaks, stretch, um, and e even do a quick posture check. So if one employee tends to sit forward in their chair, maybe, and not you know, take advantage of their backrest, a custom reminder could be set just for them, encouraging them to sit back. And a nice benefit of this type of software is that it's smart. So it can go beyond just pushing out reminders at a set frequency and suggest breaks based on work intensity as well as natural rest patterns. And it does this by actually monitoring input device usage. So more specifically, I'm talking about the number of keystrokes and clicks um, that an employee enters throughout the day. So if the program detects that an employee has a lot of meetings one day and isn't as active on the computer, it won't push out as many of those reminders. Um, and during these breaks, you also have the option to push out stretching content that might be included in the software to help promote more active breaks that we know are going to be very important for our sedentary office workers. Okay, so we're going to hop into our next poll here. 
So we talked about a few different types of technology and software um, that can help you adapt your program to hybrid work. So I'm curious to know what types of technology your organization are currently using to support your office ergonomics program. We'll give everyone a few more seconds. Okay, so we have a couple at the top here. Yeah, um, ergonomics training and self-assessment looks like lots of, um, that's quite a popular technology, also online learning tools and video conferencing. So all really valuable and versatile tools for helping to support um, your, your ergo program uh, for that hybrid workforce. So we talked about the benefits that technology can bring to an ergo program that's managing hybrid, a hybrid or remote workforce. And now I'm just going to go over a couple of key things to consider if you're thinking about purchasing office ergonomic software. So the first question you want to ask is, is it cloud-based? So does this solution run natively in the cloud? And there are a few benefits to this. The first being that cloud-based solutions allow you to tailor the software to your company's unique way of doing things. So anytime you're relying on a vendor's help desk to help you code and configure your software, you can quickly be taken off of the, the standard product and end up with something that might be a bit more costly to support and possibly a bit more difficult to upgrade as time goes on. So for any organizations who are continuing to navigate the world of hybrid work, the flexibility that's that's going to be offered from a cloud-based solution will be critical just to make sure that your ergo program is is going to be sustainable in the long term next you want to ask can it be configured to meet the needs of our ergonomics program so again rather than relying on a help desk to help you customize software to what you need you want something where you're you're able to immediately self-configure um, the software without wasting any additional time or money. So truly configurable ergo software is going to allow you to easily modify content and workflow as your program changes. And then next you wanna ask, can the data be integrated into existing systems? If you're already using some sort of EHS software solution, or are interested in implementing an enterprise-wide EHS solution, there are benefits to having the data from your Ergo software connected to that. So this can make it easy to integrate your data with your HR and LMS solutions and reduce the need for secondary data entry that can potentially add to inefficiencies and errors that might impact your processes. So, for example, rather than having multiple input sources for your health and safety program data, your wellness program data, um, and your ergonomics program data, a connected solution would allow you to consolidate that information into kind of more of a single source of truth. Um, because we do know the programs that I just kind of mentioned, there is going to be some overlap um, in terms of data. And then lastly, you wanna ask, will it engage our workforce? So, 
I already kind of touched on this. Employee engagement is a really important aspect of an effective ergonomics program. So it's important that any ergo software solution under consideration is including features that are going to really help guide and empower employees to take an active role in identifying and, and resolving risk. So just make sure when you are looking at solutions, if you look for something that is Sorry, that you look for something that's you know easy to access, um, really user friendly, and and truly interactive, while also having the ability to push out prompts and notifications to an employee. So ideally, you want a program that's going to really actively engage them, as opposed to one that passively waits for action. So just to close things out here, I'm going to recap some of the main points that I discussed today. So first, it's tough to predict what work is going to look like over the next few years, but based on the research that's available, we can probably assume that it's going to continue to change and, and develop due to just all the evolving attitudes and priorities that we're getting from both workers and leaders. Also, in order to keep up with that dynamic landscape, it's important that the systems and processes that make up your ERCO program are flexible and scalable so you can adapt to future changes as they come up. And then incorporating the use of a software solution is one way that you could achieve this. And we just, as we just discussed, there are a number of ways that technology can be leveraged to totally streamline your office ERCO program. And at the same time, allow you to gain valuable insights to really effectively guide future decisions. So that's it for today. Um, I'd, I'd like to take this time now to thank everyone for joining me. If you'd like to keep this conversation going about office ergonomics, um, particularly for hybrid and remote workers, feel free to reach out to me directly through my email, which is up on the screen there. And um, I think we're going to open up the floor for some questions. So I'm going to hand it back over to Barry. Thank you so much, Kim. We appreciate you sharing your insights with us on this topic today. And just a reminder for our attendees, if you do have a question, we've gotten some great ones already. Click on that Q&A button at the bottom of your screen and type in your question and press the send button. Before we start the q and I want to let everyone know about the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey will open in a different screen after this webinar. Your input is really important to us because it does help us to improve our future webcasts. So Kim, let's go ahead and get to some of those questions that are coming in here. The first one, and I'm sure it's a common one that you hear, uh, someone asks, what if your organization doesn't have the budget for ergonomic software? Yeah, this is a question that we get a lot from organizations looking to improve their ergo programs. Um, and the first thing that I would recommend is to use whatever data that you have available to start building a business case that's going to help to support the implementation of software. Um, so I kind of chatted about how the main benefit of using software is that it can help to really streamline your processes and hopefully eliminate some uh, wasted time and, and wasted effort. So you might need to, to explain to management how the cost of doing what you're currently doing compares to the cost of implementing a software solution. And, okay. oh, sorry, yep. Go ahead. Okay, <laughs> uh, I, I was just gonna add, um, also, uh, sorry. <laughs> 
I just that's lost okay. my train of thought. My apologies for stepping on your toes there, Kim. <laughs> so <laughs> no, that's Kim, okay. let me let me jump into our next question here. Um, one of our attendees would like to know, uh, when it comes to personal risk reduction, uh, workers don't necessarily always use the tools and resources available to them. Let's say, for example, online training. How can we increase the adoption and the use of the tools that we have available? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of ergonomists and, and program managers are going to be able to relate to this. And uh, solution, I think it connects back to my points about the importance of just really engaging employees. Um, and if you don't know really where to start with that, a, a simple way to begin would just to would be to get um, to just uh, figure out how you can really just start to involve employees in in risk reduction initiatives. So ask for their feedback, ask for their help ask for ideas, um, just anything to really get them to start thinking more about their personal risk exposure. And then another thing, I think it's just important to help employees understand why they should care about using these resources. And um, I also think it's important that that message is coming from sort of the top of the organization because it's just going to have a greater impact um, on the, your ergonomics culture overall. Great, thank you. Uh, next question that's come in, Kim, is um, someone is curious, are companies looking at flexible schedules in terms of a four-day work week to improve work-life balance and personal well-being? So I haven't seen any specific examples of that, um, but it is certainly an interesting idea. Um, Yeah. So to answer your question, I, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. It's not anything that I've seen in my, okay. in my research. Great. Okay. Thank you, Kim. Uh, next question that came in is an interesting one. Um, and our attendee would like to know, do uh, ADA laws apply to remote workers who are at home? That's a great question. Um, and I think I might have to fact check myself on this afterwards. Um, my understanding of it is that if if you're working, um, then it applies no matter what what environment you're in, whether you're in the office or at home. Um, but I would just like to double check on that. So maybe for um, who asked that, I can I can follow up with them afterwards. Absolutely, we'll make sure you get that that person's contact information, Kim, to follow up that conversation. Um, let's move ahead to our next question here, and um, this attendee has a couple challenges and, and says the biggest challenges in their organization are clearly defining who's responsible for obtaining furniture and equipment for home use and also some employees not having a suitable space in their residence for proper setup uh, even if you know equipment is purchased for them are there any ways that you know to to mitigate those two challenges for organizations mhm mm Do you mind just re um, repeating that? Sure, absolutely. The, the two right. challenges that, that our attendee mentions is, uh, number one, clearly defining who's responsible for obtaining furniture and equipment for home use. Mm -hmm. And number two is an employee not having a suitable space in their residence. Yeah, so when it comes to defining who's uh, responsible, 
we are seeing companies who are, are developing policies and the format of what that policy looks like is going to really depend on um, the resources that, that you have available and what's feasible for your company. So um, some companies we're seeing will provide like a, a set sort of allowance to their employees and it, it will be like, um, take this and just use it to purchase whatever equipment you think you need. Some might have a set list of equipment that is pre-approved um, that employees can pick from and others might actually require um, employees to have an ergonomic assessment. And then if they do require extra equipment, then that would be um, recommended first by uh, an ergonomist. All right, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Thank no you very much for that. So the next question we have for you, Kim, is um, an attendee would like to know, could you share the risk the employer has for work from home employees from both an OSHA perspective and a workman's compensation perspective? Sure. Um, so it's my understanding that the the remote workplace is is it's still considered to be, um, it's considered to be the workplace, right? So mm -hmm. if uh, a worker is injured while they are working remotely, if it's, if, if the injury is sustained um, while they're completing work-related activities, there is grounds for the, the employer to potentially be on the hook um, for workers' comp, um, and, and just being the, the liabilities associated with that. Um, there certainly are lots of gray areas around that that um, I'm not really uh, tuned into because <laughs> I'm not a legal expert, but um, that's what I understand about what the, um, what the, the employer is responsible for. Okay, great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, the next question we have for you, Kim, is, um, and this is uh, something that obviously is taking place at, at our office here at the National Safety Council. Um, what are the important features for a hotel space? For example, a shared space that someone comes in and uses uh, that may have different equipment than the home, for example. Yeah, that's a really great question. So I think that um, the most important thing when we're looking at a shared workstation is that it is as adjustable as possible. So you want to make sure that the work surface is able to adjust. So whether that be, you know, a sit stand desk or having a keyboard tray, um, you want a chair that's going to be highly adjustable. Some companies are even um, offering employees options for chairs. So in some cases, one chair might be better for people who are of taller stature and some chairs might be better for people who are shorter stature. So it's just giving a little bit more option there. And then um, just other accessories that you can provide to help with adjustments. So that could be footrests, um, making sure that you have monitor risers available um, to really just adjust, um, be, be able to adjust the workstation as much as possible. Okay, great. Thank you for that. Um, we had a question come in. Uh, someone asks um, if you don't have an office chair in, in your home setting, are there common items that can help from an ergonomic standpoint? For example, a towel or a cushion or something like that. Are there any things you can uh, share with our attendees today? Yeah, so if 
If you're using a non-adjustable chair and, and say that um, your, your work surface is too high, then certainly, yeah, adding a, a cushion or just something to elevate you um, is going to help. One important consideration with that though, is that if you are, um, if you are going to sit on something that's going to raise your height, you wanna make sure that your feet are also supported. So um, they do make, they make footrests specifically for this reason, but if you don't have access to a footrest, um, just putting some, some sort of, you know, box down or something stable that you can rest your feet on that's going to support um, a 90 degree angle at the knees and the hips uh, can help with, with that if, if you don't have the adjustability. Excellent. Let's move ahead to our next question. And we've had a couple, a few questions Kim come in about uh, the costs of equipment, for example. Um, and, and first of all, I wanted to ask from one of our attendees, uh, in your experience, Kim, do most employers cover the costs of equipment for home or remote environment? And what are the pros and cons of that? It really, what I have seen is that it is a huge mix. Um, in, in terms of who's covering what, um, I will say that in terms of, uh, the size of companies generally like larger companies I'm seeing are able to afford to cover those expenses. Whereas maybe like smaller mom and pop size companies, um, it's, it's less feasible. Um, do you mind repeating the second part of that question, Barry? Sorry. Sure, absolutely. They were just looking for the, the pros and cons of companies that do or don't uh, provide equipment for workers. Yeah, so I think that um, the, the pros to providing the equipment to workers, it, it kind of goes back to that, that worker satisfaction piece that I talked about earlier. So, um, employers are, are, sorry, employees are wanting to work um, at companies where they feel like they're taken care of, where they feel like their, their well-being is um, really under consideration. So I would say that that's a huge pro. Um, and then obviously a con would be the expense. So this is something that is, is uh, still a challenge for companies as they, they try to navigate um, their hybrid workforce, but kind of just bringing it back to some of the the technologies that I talked to, to that I talked about today. Um, if there's any way that you can look at your data and try to use that to prioritize where the equipment is going to be needed most, that can maybe help you to reduce um, the costs associated with you know providing everyone with a chair. Instead of giving everyone a chair, maybe only the people who like objectively require a chair um, would get a chair. Okay, great. Along those same lines, Kim, uh, one of our attendees asks, how can workers approach their employer about funding or reimbursement for home office furniture that's needed? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's, it, it would be just a matter of talking to your, your supervisor um, just to see if this is something that the workplace has even considered. Um, and if it isn't something that's been, that's been considered, uh, 
you could maybe start to look at building a, helping to build a business case around um, the need for, for the, for being able to um, provide some sort of uh, benefit or, or allowance or, or something like that. Okay, excellent. Um, our next question, Kim, is, um, you know, for example, a lot of us here at the National Safety Council use multiple monitors and multiple workstations. Uh, our attendee wants to know, in what ways might a remote worker with multiple workstations streamline that setup so it's more effective ergonomically? Hmm. So I think so. Um, I don't know if this is what you're getting at, but if you're having to transfer a lot of your equipment from one workstation to the next, I think that portability is really important. So for example, um, with, with my laptop, I, I move around with my laptop and I always carry a portable uh, laptop per perch that kind of unfolds mm -hmm. and I can bring that with me in my bag. The same is true for all of my um, input devices. So when I'm looking at my keyboard and mouse, I'm trying to find things that are, are small and um, that can I can kind of take with me anywhere. So I can always make sure that I'm I'm using those and really taking advantage of them to support neutral postures, no matter where I'm working. Okay, excellent. Um, a question that came in, uh, Kim, is, um, you know, obviously as remote work has expanded and, and been ongoing, do you feel that ergonomics has come more to the forefront, is being taken more seriously both by workers and, and company leaders? Certainly, yeah. Yep. Um, and I, I think it ties back to some of the challenges that I, I chatted about at the beginning there. Um, there are a lot of, not, not a lot, but just a different type of risks that are being introduced and, and maybe certain employees um, who weren't experiencing discomfort at their workstation before are now when they're working at home, they're, they're realizing, okay, um, you know, there's something going on here with my setup because now I'm experiencing discomfort or, or I'm in pain. So certainly I think employees are feeling it. And then in turn, leaders are definitely feeling it because they are the ones who are, are seeing the, the injury metrics, um, and, and the data that, that is showing that these ergonomic injuries are increasing for them. So yeah, I certainly think it, the awareness is, is increasing. Great. Um, another question that we got from our audience, Kim, is someone asks, uh, before the pandemic, uh, this person heard about the 20-20-20 rule. Uh, every 20 minutes of work, you uh, should spend 20 seconds looking away at something that's 20 feet away. Is that still a good rule of thumb, even for folks in remote settings? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, that's a great way to kind of just give your eyes a rest. Um, when you're, especially when you're working at the computer or doing any sort of heavy reading. Um, one thing that I encourage is really just to move and take breaks as much as, as is feasible. Um, and I do think that every 20 minutes is really a great target. Okay. It looks like, Kim, we have time for one more question today. And um, that question is, um, you, you talked about uh, asking questions of your organization before looking for a software solution. Um, 
And would you recommend surveying your workers as a group to make sure their specific needs are being met? Absolutely. Um, and yeah, that's really important because, um, well, there's a few benefits to this. So first, if you're, you want to ask your, your frontline workforce, um, what, what their challenges are and, and seeing what, um, software could provide to help to, to eliminate some of the barriers that they might be dealing with. Um, so without talking to them, uh, you, you're not really going to understand what their needs are, and then you might not fully understand what you're, what you're needing in a software solution. Great. Well, thank you, Kim. We appreciate all your responses today to all those great questions. And folks, unfortunately, we have run out of time today. We thank you all for attending the presentation, and we appreciate you taking some time to share your feedback via our survey. A special thank you goes out today to our wonderful presenter, Kim Mole, and the entire team from our sponsor, Cordy. This ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Take care, everyone, and have a safe day.